open up to James chapter 3, or Mark chapter 3, I'm sorry. I'm going to read from several different places today, then I'll just preach out of it. I'm doing a spiritual profile on the Apostle John, and uh, tying him into what we've been speaking about, friendship, and how the wounds of a friend can be trusted, and how one of the great dynamics of genuine friendships is the ability of uh, uh, of constructive criticism between friends at pivotal times in their life, things that challenge the blind spots in our life. And that's what a good friendship is. A good friendship should uh, stand the test of a friend saying, i got to share something to you, something that's been on my heart, so on and so forth. And we've been going through example after example in the Bible of what a biblical friendship really looks like and how we are to love one another, but at certain times challenge each other. Amen? I mean, a friendship is not something where we're just superficial all the time. You should be able to see something in my life and say, Pastor, you know, A, B, or C, you know, and I should be open to you because I know you care for me and to listen to what someone has to say. Husbands and wives should be doing this very well. They often do and to bring each other's blind spots to each other because that's what makes us grow. Iron sharpens iron. That's what happens. We need each other to develop in godly character and that's what it's about. It's not just about being a better you. Please hear this. It's not about being just a better you. All right? You don't need Jesus to be a better you. You can go to self-help and you can get a better you. You can go to some kind of behavioral modification become a better you. What we have here is becoming Christ-like in our character. Being usable to the God and his kingdom with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This goes beyond just being a better you. So if we're here to be a better us, you can do that somewhere else. But if you want to follow Christ and be a disciple of Christ and be used by God in his kingdom, that's what the word of God does. And that's the kind of friendships we have to have. We have to have that kind of friendship that develops the kind of character in each other that's usable for God. I want to be, I don't know where you are in your life, but at 57, I want to be usable for God. I've been like that since I got saved 27, 28 years ago. I want to go to the grave with the same mentality. I want to be used by God. I want to be fruitful in the kingdom. I want to bring souls into the kingdom. I want to have a quality of relationship with people and developing in their spiritual lives, so on and so forth. And prayerfully, we all have that in us. So we've been speaking about this, so I'm going to do a little profile on uh, James and his relationship with Jesus Christ and how Jesus rebuked him. It's called the rebuke of love. I don't know if we have the title up there. Do we have that title up there? The rebuke of love. We all need this in our life strategically at times, more than once probably, but we're going to see a very strategic rebuke, that's correction, by Jesus into the character, the blind spot of the Apostle John and how it changed him over 60 years. So the scriptures I'm speaking about today, it spans 60 years. From Mark chapter 3, when I get into 1 John 4, is 60 years. Mark is a 25-year-old man, maybe. By the time we get into uh, 1 John 4, the Apostle John is probably 90 to 95 years old. But the rebuke Jesus gave him changed his life. And prayerfully, the Word of God is changing our life. Because the Word of God is like a mirror, James says. We look into it and reflect on what's really going on in our heart. Who really is Brian Martin? Who is Terry Martin? Who is Gail? Who really are we? Because we can put the face on, can't we? 
We, we can put it on, we can dress it up, we go to the gym, we go out there, and we can really look like we, we got our act together. But inside I'm hurting, inside I'm lonely, inside I'm anxious, I'm fearful, and I got a, 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 a wrong evaluation of myself. Remember what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago? Human beings, because of sin in our hearts, right? We have this deep-rooted ability to self-deception. We can really think with somebody else. Remember Peter did that, remember? Everybody else is going to leave you, Jesus, but not me. And Jesus said, oh, really? By the end of the night, before the crow uh, three times, you're going to deny me. And what happened? Peter denied him. Peter never thought he would deny him. But Jesus saw something in Peter. Peter did not see himself. Guess what? We don't see ourselves. It's the word of God that says, Brian, this is really who you are. I know everybody likes you. Your family likes you. Your wife likes you. I like you too, Brian. But there's a couple of things in your character that you're not aware of. So like I said a couple weeks ago, uh, when it comes to dealing with the sins in our life... It's easy because, you know, I can open up to a thousand verses of scripture and say, listen, this is wrong in our life. But when it comes to personality flaws, they're challenging because they hurt. They rip. You can feel like you're being judged, you know, but it's not. Rebukes of a friend are needed. We can wound each other with our words because we want to be more like God. So we're going to go on a little trip over here into the Apostles John's life. Bear with me as I read a little bit of scripture here. Follow along, then I'll explain the best I can as we go through. Starting in Mark 3, I will read 16 and 17. If you can put 16 up there if it's not too late. Is it too late? He's got it? This is where I do a little juggling act to keep you occupied. Okay, here we go. Jesus, he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, whom he gave the name Barginus, that is, sons of thunder. Let's go to John. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 9. Everybody say sons of thunder. Can you say it like you mean it? Sons of thunder. Okay. Any sons of thunder here? All right. Verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's Jesus. And he sent messages ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive Jesus, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another, another village. John chapter 13. John 13, verse 23. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, that's John, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. 
So when Peter mentioned motion to him to ask Jesus whom he was speaking, so the disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is him who will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave to Judas, the son of Simon, as carrier. John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. First John chapter 4, and I'll stop reading. Starting in verse 7. This is John at 90 years old. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he had loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because he has also, because as he also is in the world, so are we. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the word, God. Help us to bring these scriptures together that we can understand the vital relationship between the Apostle John and Jesus the Lord. Help us, Father, to understand that when Jesus looked at John and rebuked him for calling down fire, it was a turning point in his life and a turning point in his ministry. Let us see, Father God, how that timely rebuke of his callous, self-righteous heart changed him into the apostle of love, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when we first start reading, oh, let me just go into my notes here. Love and open rebukes on personality corrections forced to strong, abiding, I can even say eternal friendships that stand the test of time. We have to be, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to be a people that can lovingly speak the truth to each other, without fear of hurting someone's feelings. Blind spots need to be addressed. Blind spots are harmful to relationships. We need to address them. And usually leave a wake of hurtful feelings behind us. And many burned friendships, many people have burned many friendships in their life because they're too sensitive to hear the truth. Some people leave church and go to another church and go to another church and go to another church. Why? Because they cannot stand under the preaching that searches the heart. Preaching, a homily, should search the heart. It should get inside me and, and make my heart warm, but sometimes make me very uncomfortable. What God's revealing to me, what He's revealing to us. Friendships are like that. Friendships are like the word of God. They search us. We have to have those. They're the kind of friendships I want. Mm -hmm. 
I have superficial friendships. I have acquaintances. I enjoy them. We golf. We do. We laugh. But then I have friendships that really, they challenge my life. They make me a better man. I want that. I want depth to my relationships. Superficial relationships have their place. I need deep. As a Christian man, I need depth in my life. As a husband, I need depth. As a pastor, I need depth. Last week we spoke about the blind spot the Apostle Peter had. And how God used the Apostle Paul to rebuke him in front of people, bring him to shame, to to correct the flaws, like the flaw that Peter had. He was boastful, he was a bit arrogant, and he thought he was better than other people, but he had the fear of man in him. And he had a good play, but when other people were around him, he he became a, a hypocrite. He was acting differently when other people were in the room. Have you ever found yourself acting differently when there's wealthy people in the room or beautiful people in the room or influential people in the room or when the boss walks in the room or a colleague walks in the room and all of a sudden you, you can change your disposition to fit the situation? Well, we can be hypocrites at that time. And there are times in our life that God has to call us out on a lot of things, some of those things, and that's what, that's what Paul did to the, the, the Apostle Peter. Tonight I want to speak about the Apostle John's blind spot and Jesus' timely rebuke. John had a lot of zeal, but he was self-righteous. Nobody wants to hear that about themselves, do they? There's nothing worse than a self-righteous Christian. I'm going to tell you that right now. We of all people should be the most broken, humble, sensitive human beings that do nothing except wake up and just want to serve the world because of what Christ has done for us. We don't have a leg to stand on and say, yeah, but, or I know what they did or what they said. And you don't, have, you don't listen. God made it easy for us. You don't have the right anymore. To feel sorry for yourself and what people have done and what people... You don't have the right anymore. Jesus took it on the cross. We have to be sensitive to all people. John had to learn this lesson. He loved Christ. But he was a bit harsh. And then we'll see the fruit of it over the course of his life and ministry. I want to read something from an article I read. An article on turning points. Listen to these words. Quote, As we lead our lives, we encounter both positive and negative experiences in life. Some of the experiences have an impact in our lives and on our future situation. Some experience may even change the direction of our life. Such experience can be referred to as turning points. Occasions that will turn our lives in a positive or unfortunately a negative direction. How then can we identify a turning point in our life? According to Ruta, turning points cannot be identified in terms of broad classes of experiences, nor a unitary set of phenomena. Consequently, a turning point has to induce a tangible change in someone's life to qualify as a turning point. A turning point has to induce a tangible change and also a kind of change that has an effect over our life, the course of our life. Now, I can tell you many negative turning points in my life. The first time I, I got high on drugs, the first time I was drinking, the first time I got in a fight, the first time I cut out of school, everything had a, uh, uh, 
dire consequences to that. But I can also remember some of the positive things in my life, that as the time in my life I was going bad in my life, God put certain people in my life, timely situations that mentored me out of those bad traits that I had. I've spoken to you about that many times from the pulpit, but I'm not here for that today. But we all have those good and negatives. And we reflect on our life, we can see some good and we can see some bad turning points in our life that set us off on wrong directions. Sometimes it's the choice, sometimes it's people we hang around with, so on and so forth. Uh, Tonight is a turning point in the experience of the young disciple named John. He's in ministry. When we uh, read Mark chapter 3 and John chapter 9, they're both speaking about the same experience early in the ministry of Jesus Christ and these would-be apostles. John growing up, though, we have to know something about him. He was actually a wealthy young man. He came from a well-to-do family, well-established uh, friends with the high priest Caiaphas, very influential family. The father was an influential man, though the Bible doesn't say much about the family's internal dynamic. We can know by what the Bible does say that he had servants, he had a business, he had prestige with Caiaphas, the high priest. Understand something, to have, a, to have an appearance with the high priest, to be a friend of the high priest, you had to be somebody of position. John and his family came from a, 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 a position that they had influence with the high priest. 2,000 years ago, that was a lot. This young man, was a, he, he was well-to-do, he was well-educated, he was well-read. He had servants, he had his own business, he was pious. He was one of John the Baptist's first disciples. He first started following Jesus by the teachings of John the Baptist. All the upbringing, all this kind of upbringing would, one would think necessary for a faithful life with Jesus and a faithful life with ministry. Who wouldn't want a well-to-do, educated, connected, hard-working young man on their ministry staff? And we all would. Someone used to long hours of work as a fisherman, sometimes all night, sleepless nights, without very little profit from it. This is a no-brainer. Any Fortune 500 company would do well to hire this young man. Jesus, Jesus certainly picked the right person for the job when he picked John. It all seems well until the time and circumstances brought out something about John. Under the pressures of ministry, his fiery zeal unfortunately proved to be self-righteous. His fiery zeal is a wonderful attribute to have. But his fiery zeal was, was without knowledge. And this kind of disposition usually kills more people than it helps. And it burns a lot of friendships and it burns a lot of bridges. So in the middle of this preaching tour, under the pressure of carrying the message of eternal life, following Jesus with all his rejections and hardships, that come with being a disciple of Christ, that comes with being a Christian. Another side of him slips out in the pressure. Thinking he's doing the right thing by defending the honor of Jesus because people were rejecting Jesus. He says, let's call down fire. That seems nice, right? Seems honorable. It seems like he's defending the honor of Christ. Isn't that a a religious thing to do? Honor God? Anyone would agree. But he has to learn something. 
He has to learn something about himself. But more important, he has to learn something about God's kingdom and how it operates. When it comes to God's kingdom, this is the new covenant. When John wanted to call down fire from heaven against the Samaritans, he's going back to 2 Kings chapter 1, when the prophet of the Old Testament named Elijah called down fire on the enemies of God. So John is following in the footsteps of the Old Testament prophet. They're dishonoring the Messiah. Let's call down fire. But there's something that has changed. Jesus made a declaration. I have not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He's not here to condemn. He's here to save. John had to learn a fundamental change in the way God operates when Jesus came into the world. He's not here to condemn the world. He's here to bring a saving message. And to do that, you've got to tolerate people's rejections. You've got to tolerate people's hatred towards you. You've got to tolerate, I have to tolerate people's hatred towards God and not to take it personal because John's going to find out in Acts chapter 8 that many of these people here who rejected Jesus, end up coming to Jesus later on and being saved. Because God's kingdom is God leads us to repentance by his kindness. It says in Romans chapter 2 that it's goodness and kindness lead men to repentance. Pointing the finger at people in a self-righteous way leads no one to repentance. But teaching them of how kind Jesus is and how patient God is with us is something that leads men to repentance. And if even it's on their dying breath, like the thief on the cross, it makes no difference to us. I'd rather take all the hardship, all the slaps in the face, all the scorn of the whole world. At least they would accept Jesus with their last breath. I'd find it worth it. John didn't know that. That's a lesson John had to learn and all Christians have to learn. The Apostle James writes in the second chapter, he says, the, righteous, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We can't go around being self-righteous and angry with people. It doesn't bring the kingdom of God. Patience, kindness, tolerance, a genuine love and concern for our fellow man is what leads people to repentance. John had to learn that. His spiritual zeal needed to be tempered with God's patient love. Let me tell you something. It's easier to teach a young Christian theological and doctrinal truth. It's easy. I can do that in a month. Only God can teach someone how to love. I can't do that. Hopefully I can show you and demonstrate. But only the Holy Spirit can teach us how to genuinely love. Listen to me. Genuinely love and care for people that reject us. How do you feel being rejected? Do you think Christ liked being rejected? But yet was he patient with all people? The first time you heard about Jesus, did you give up sinning? And follow Christ. Isn't the heart slow to learn? Aren't we still learning here? Aren't we Christians, but we're still learning some deep truths about how to obey God? John had to learn this truth, and so do we. But there's something else about this rebuke. 
In the newer translations that we read, the ESV, it doesn't say another paragraph that's in uh, Luke chapter 9. It says, And Jesus rebuked them, saying, you do, know, you do not know what spirit you are of. Talking about his disposition. What he was saying is that this attitude you have, John, you have no idea what you're operating on. You're operating on the self-righteousness. You're operating on the zeal with that knowledge. You're operating on the intolerance. I didn't come here to condemn. This is a season of grace. I see men's failures. I see men's sins. And guess what, John? I'm going to be patient with them anyway. I hope that hurts a little bit. Because we all fail. Let me say it again. What Jesus is telling John, I know they're rejecting me. But I'm going to be patient and kind with them again. And guess what, John? I'm going to give them a second chance. And guess what? You're going to be there in Acts chapter 8. And you're going to watch what I can do to their heart. They're rejecting me now. But when they know how sweet I am, and they know how kind I am, and how compassionate and how forgiven I am, watch what happens, John. That's a lesson that takes time in a maturing Christian's life. Amen? I wish I could really say I mastered that. I learned a lot and I loved little. It takes a while to really learn to love the unlovable. To love and care for the undesirable. To really care for people that reject you. And this kind of love we're talking about here is not a sentimental kind of mushy feeling love. It has nothing to do with emotions. It has nothing to do with feelings. The agape love that's spoken about here in this text is a love that no matter what someone does to you, you're still concerned for their greatest need. Forgiveness. So it makes no matter what you do to me, it makes no difference. I've already committed to Christ that I'm going to be in your life to meet the greatest need. Whether you slap me on the face, you scorn me, it makes no difference. If I have to kick the dust off my feet and go somewhere else for a while, I'll come back. But for the Christian, God has already ordained your future. We are to love people that naturally won't love us back. John had to learn that. You don't pull the fire out of heaven right away because someone rejects you. God's got a couple more cards up his sleeve. John had to learn that. You and I had to learn that. John had to take a good look at himself. He was too quick to judge. And you know why? Self-righteousness usually is. There's not a person in this room that does not fall under the spell of a self-righteous attitude we all have. We have all been just too quick to judge other people too fast. And we don't know all the facts. He had to take a good, hard look at himself. When Jesus brings something to our attention about ourselves, we must give it the full attention it deserves. When the word of God, when the preaching opens up our heart to about something about ourselves, we just can't, you know, write that off and, and, you know, as, oh, I'll deal with it another day. We do harm to ourselves if we put off, we put that off. When we hear something about ourselves, whether it's through preaching or teaching or friendship to friendship, husband and wife to husband and wife, we need to generally take a step back and say, I got to listen to that. 
God's trying to get my attention on something. And I shared this last week and how a, a, a brother I led to Christ and he came to Christ. He opened up his house. We had a good fellowship in his basement, Brother Roddy. And Brother Roddy, I told him I loved him. And I generally loved him. But when he got sick and was in the hospital, I didn't visit him. And guess who called me up and read me the riot act? Brother Roddy. He goes, you're telling me you love me, but you didn't come visit me. And all I can say is, brother, you're absolutely right. He was absolutely right. As a minister of the gospel, that is something I have to do. It comes with the ministry. No matter what, you have to go. That was my lesson. I'm still learning that lesson. But that was the lesson. And I remember when he said that, it hurt. But he was so right. And that's why it hurt. Usually when something hurts, it's because it's correct. So how do we deal with that? This hurt John, but he knew it was right. But understand something. In Christian discipleship, there is no easier, softer way. So if you're looking for an easier, softer way, if you're looking for a Christianity that's an easy... Who wants a Christianity that has an easier, softer way? Do not raise your hand. All right? I see half a hand go up and they put it down real quick. Pastor John will counsel you later. When Jesus says, you're going to be a follower of me, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. There's no nonsense following the Savior. It's either his way or no way. John had to learn this out. This truth spoken in love is the only remedy. You see, Jesus could have put his arm around John and said, you know, John, let me talk to you about this, you know, and give this big, long lecture on love. He didn't. He just looked at him, pointed at him, said, you don't know what spirit you are. Rebuke is correction. John didn't need a hug. He needed ice water in the vein of Christ to call him out on this fundamental flaw and blind spot in his life. John, let's get together. I'll shoot you a text. Let's get together and then we'll have a cup of coffee. And then after some uh, platitudes, you know, you got this blind... No, 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 no. Jesus went right through the front door. I got this against you. You're loveless. To a true disciple, that cuts You know what Job says? The word of God cuts and then it heals. You see, God doesn't come and point out our flaws to bring pain. He comes and points out our flaws to bring change. In the kingdom of God, we have to have that. There's more about him that meets the eye, though. Remember that text I read in John chapter 13? about the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, that's the upper room. And five times in the book of John, John is designated as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And in John chapter 13, we get this picture of Jesus pouring out his heart to his disciples. It's the last moment. He's only hours away from being crucified. John is on a bosom. That's what it means. He was on his bosom. He was laying on his, on his breast. And making googly eyes with the Savior. There he is. He's looking up at him. And you get this picture of a sensitive man. And I'm going to just speculate a little bit over here. J- 
John, in his heart of hearts, was a sensitive human being. But you know, the world gives you a wrong picture of what a man's supposed to be, amen? Sensitive is what? Not one of them. But you see, John, though he was fiery in temperament, he was also compassionate in heart. And he needed Jesus to draw that out. That's what Jesus does. Jesus reaches down inside and he draws out things. He brings something out. He brings something sensitive and compassionate. I remember when I became a Christian. When I first came to church, I was no saint. Far from it. But there was something I remember the first four or five weeks, those weeks God was drawing me to music with worship. I'd be in the back. And I was I was 6'2, 240. I was a world karate champion. I had three black belts, and there I am, and I couldn't stop crying. I'm not supposed to cry. At all. You don't show weakness on the mat. You don't show weakness in the world I grew up in. But guess what? I was always a sensitive kid. But I didn't want nobody to know it. But when I became a Christian, I could feel God saying, I made you that way. The world made you hard. I created you sensitive. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. That that compassion that's in you, I put that there. And now I want it back. And over the course of months and the course of years and decades, guess what? We become like Jesus and I just want to be like John. I just want to. I just want to love Christ. I want to be sensitive, kind, and compassionate. You see, many times the mentor, when the teacher, when the student is ready, guess what? The teacher appears. John was looking for this. John had the fiery temperament. Let's call down fire. But at the same time, deep within him, he was a sensitive, compassionate man, and he needed someone to come in and unlock the beauty of his heart. Many times a wife will do that to a husband, and a husband will do that to a wife. Falling in love does great things, doesn't it? Christianity is about falling in love with Christ. Please, don't ever think we're about a bunch of rules and regulations. Don't ever think that. The Christian faith is nothing about rules and regulations. This is about love. And John talks about it. Remember, we love him because he... So, you know, and so it unlocks that love in us. And, and all of a sudden, I finally start to feel like a human being. I feel like, I feel like I've been born again. And you get these thousand and one feelings, these new feelings coming over you. you. You don't want nobody to see. I remember when me and my wife started first going to church. And I remember, I remember I wanted to lift my hands. But was Terry looking? I told my wife be looking. Because that's an act of intimacy and, and tenderness. And just to surrender your heart, lift up your hands and love Christ. You know, and, but you're ashamed because what are people going to think? Guess what? I could care less what people think now. When you're finally over uh, what other people are thinking about you, you can really worship Christ. When you really finally get over that, uh, you know, what are people going to say? You can really enter into genuinely loving Christ the way you're supposed to. John experienced that. I'm making that point. That John experienced the love of Christ 
in a way that opened up his heart and made him sensitive and did not care what other people thought about him. This young man finally met the mentor of the heart. And that's what Jesus does. He mentors our heart. The influence that Jesus had on John brought out this sensitive side. He wasn't all zeal and no heart. He was zealous for God. He was a pious young man. He wanted to honor God. He wanted to honor truth. And he had a heart that was underneath it. It took Jesus to bring it out of him. Many good young men follow wrong heroes. Many good young men have wrong role models. And all of a sudden you find out you're following a John Wayne image and you really just want to chill out. I I don't want to fight all the time. I don't want to walk around looking for a fight. I don't want to walk around looking for an argument. I don't want to walk around looking like I have an axe to grind with humanity. You know, and Christ sets us free. And before you know it, you can enter in and just be insensitive. This is what happened to me when I met Christ. He changed me from the inside out. When I came to Christ, tough was out and kindness and compassion came in. He brought out the best of John. He's bringing out the best of me. And prayerfully, he's bringing out the best of all of us. Amen. But we need to have open rebuke sometimes. To be a changed person, we need to have that open rebuke sometimes. And that's what John had. John had to be brought to his senses. He didn't realize. He had a sensitive side, but he was more caught up with judging people. But John received this rebuke from Jesus. And as I read in John chapter 4, about this great love chapter, John is called by many scholars the apostle of love. Could you imagine if you just read Mark chapter 3 and Luke chapter 9, you would never see an apostle of love. But 60 years later, all he can write about is love. Do you know, let me give you some statistics. Statistics many times prove a point. 1 John has five chapters. In the first chapter, he never mentions love. But in four short chapters, he mentions it 36 times. Think about that. 36 In all his writings, he mentions the word agape love 78 times. The only one who comes close to him is Apostle Paul, who mentions it 80 times. But the Apostle Paul wrote one-third of the two-thirds of the New Testament. Not the Apostle John. If you go verse for verse, John way outweighs any New Testament writer. As a matter of fact, in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the word love is only mentioned 28 times. Three Gospels. In the Gospel of John, it's mentioned 26 times. John chapter 13 was the new commandment. It's the commandment we all live by. That you what? You love. No one expounds on that more than the Apostle John. When in the upper room, when he was laying on his breast and he was looking up, he heard it. He got it. It's about love. He learned the lesson. He's not the fiery young zealot that has no knowledge and just wants to call down fire like he's part of the old covenant. 
He had to find out he's an apostle of the new covenant that comes not to judge, but to bring life. You and I have to learn it's not about bringing judgment. It is about bringing life. But before we and you and I can bring life, it has to change us from the inside out. It has to change us from the inside out. As it did for John. Proverbs 17.10 says that a rebuke goes deeper into a person of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. You know what that means? You can beat a fool to death, he'll never change. But just speak to a wise man about a blind spot, and guess what? They'll change. Let's close with Proverbs 6.23 and a couple more comments and I'll close. For the commandment is a lamp and a teaching of light. That's the Old Testament. You ready? For the commandment of the Old Testament and the law of Moses is a lamp and a teaching of light. And the reproofs of discipline are what? You know what that means? What he's saying, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. It rebukes us on our way of life. The word of God corrects us and brings understanding into who we really are. I don't have Jesus looking at me in the morning and saying, you don't know what spirit you are of. Please don't tell me Jesus woke you up this morning. But guess who did tell me that? The word of God. The word of God is the voice of Jesus Christ. The Bible is the voice and heart of God Almighty. It is the will of God Almighty. It directs you and me. And the more I live in the word and the more I preach the word and teach the word and sit under the word, the more Christ brings to my attention every blind spot that has to go. Let me close with these words. The Bible is not a bunch of random religious sayings. So when I say turn to the Gospel of Luke and go to the ninth chapter in the 51st verse, that's not like modern art. You know what modern art is? You just take paint and throw it against the canvas. And somehow they make a lot of it. Whatever. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I'm not here to condemn modern art. Though it does nothing for me. The Bible is not that. The Gospel of Luke is not just a bunch of writings. Luke wrote specifically, mathematically one can say, with precision. Starting in chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel is the road to discipleship. The first eight chapters in the book of Luke talks about Jesus' miracles. There's nothing personal going on. All it is is these shows of power to prove that he's almighty God. But it's in the chapter 9, starting in the 51st verse that we read tonight. You ready? He begins his teaching on what it means to follow Jesus Christ as a disciple. And guess who is the object lesson? 
John's self-righteous, loveless heart. That's the first lesson the discipleship has to learn. So when you put that together, you take a step back and you survey everything the Holy Spirit is doing. This teaching on the rebuke of love that John needed really speaks to who? All of us. He's just the object lesson. That's all. But he really is a microcosm for all of us. Because guess what? When Adam and Eve fell into sin, and you and I are born into sin, we are born more on the self-righteous side, not on the loving side. We love to pick flaws of other people. We love to see the blind spots. We love to talk about it. We love to gossip. We love to, we love to dehumanize. Can I use that word? We love to dehumanize another human being because we're so perfect. And Jesus looks at every one of us through the preaching. Hopefully he's looking at all of us today. No, no, no. You don't know what spirit you are. This is a new covenant kingdom. We don't call down fire. We tolerate. We love. We're patient. We're kind to people that don't even like us. Amen. Father, we thank you. We love you. We praise you, God. We thank you for the word that's always searching our heart. It's truly a lamp unto our feet. Your light is a teaching, Father God. And yes, we agree here at Sonship Ministries that the rebukes of discipline are the way of this new life in Christ. Help us, Father God, to receive these corrections when you speak to us from friends, family, spouses. Even when an enemy points to our floor, let us not be super sensitive. Let us receive it with grace and let it change us, Father God. God, do whatever it takes, but change us. I say it again, God, whatever it takes, please change us into the image of Jesus. In his name I pray.